Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. I told you the last couple of weeks we've had some, some good conversations internally. Um, it's, it's helped us in the last couple of weeks. Continuing that process this week, it's, uh, it's, it's led to making the decision to move with Justin as a starter. <laughs> Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports good writers. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in this profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. You heard it in the intro, Justin Fields is starting for the Chicago Bears today against the Las Vegas Raiders, and yes, it is really tough to not say Oakland. Yes, Justin Fields is QB1 for the rest of the season, barring injury or bad play, but still, I'm just saying, I told you so, called this at the beginning of the season, after week four, Justin Fields was going to start, and here we are week five, guess who's QB1? It's Justin Fields. Welcome in to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It's great to be with you. A little late today. Had some tech issues right off the bat, but we got them fixed rather quickly. And I'm back after a week off where I was dealing with a cold. Still got some remnants of it right now, so I apologize for that in advance. But still, a lot to get to today. There is so much going on in the Chicago sports world right now. You heard me talk about Justin Fields as QB1. The White Sox are in the playoffs right now, down 2-0 to Houston. They play today to fight off a sweep. we got to talk about that bullpen management, talking about that later in the show. The Chicago Sky are in the WNBA Finals. That's going on today at 2 p.m. on ABC. They take on Phoenix. That's going to be exciting. The Bulls look fun. If you haven't watched any of the preseason games, the Bulls look fun. The Cubs GM search is narrowed down to, it sounds like, the final four candidates. We'll talk about that as well. We'll have a lot more fun coming up along the way. Feel free to chime in on the conversation through my Twitter at NickSchultz underscore seven. Usually I'd take calls, but we're remote, which means I cannot take calls. You can only hear my voice on the air. So feel free to slide in my DM. Shoot me a tweet at NickSchultz underscore seven. Would love to hear from you. We're going to start with the Bears right off the bat. Because they play today at 3, I want to say 325, out in Las Vegas against the Raiders. Khalil Mack revenge game, anybody? But no, the story today is Justin Fields. Justin Fields is starting again. It's his second start last week, or second start, third start. Last week went well, the week before did not. I have thoughts on that. Game against the Browns, too, because I did not get to share those thoughts last week. 
And I have a hilarious video. I have a hilarious sound from a video I saw from ESPN that I'll play too. But Justin Fields going today. Bill Lazor, sound, it sounds like he's calling the plays again. I hope he's calling the plays again because last week went really well. I feel like I've had this conversation at least three times now about Matt Nagy firing himself as play caller and things going well. And now Bill Lazor's calling plays for Justin Fields, who is a mobile quarterback, move the pocket, get the offense flowing, and it looked really good against Detroit. Now, let me say that again. It's Detroit. It's the Lions. We have to take that context into consideration. But he looked good. Justin Fields looked great against the Lions. And now this week we found out that Andy Dalton is fully healthy and he's going to be the backup to Justin Fields. It is Justin Fields' time now. That is very exciting. I will be wearing my Soldier Field shirt proudly today. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Andy Dalton's time is over. Thank goodness. I was not looking forward to seeing Andy Dalton on the field for more than a couple games this year. And I'm getting my wish because it's now Justin's time. Let's go back to last week's game against the Lions. So if you if you watch Matt Nagy's press conference, you heard him talk about how Bill called a good game. He tapped it. I don't understand this guy. He was asked straight out who called plays because he would not commit to who was calling plays at all this week. Yeah, he was trying to go for the misdirection thing because it was a divisional opponent. I get it. I get the gamesmanship that goes into that. But after the game, the game is over, okay? The game is already won. The Bears won. He was asked straight out about who called plays. And he would not answer the question. I didn't even want to pull the sound. That's how bad the answer was. He he tap danced and tap danced. And then finally, toward the end, thank you, Mark Potash. Finally at the end, he said, Bill called a good game. So Bill Lazor called the plays. I don't know why that was so hard to say. But he made it clear that everything ran through him. It was all about everything ran through me. I'm still the head coach. I'm still in charge. Everything ran through me. Okay. Well, Monday morning on Get Up on ESPN, Ryan Clark has gotten so good as an NFL analyst. I mean, he has gotten so good. He started out a little raw. He settled in nicely. He's a great personality. He was on with Mike Greenberg, Rex Ryan, and Dan Orlovsky on Get Up Monday morning. They played a clip of the press conference, and here's what he had to say. Enjoy. <laughs> Bill is Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator. Why the face? Hey, guys, I didn't call none of these plays, <laughs> even though I did it last week. But guess what? All this comes back to me. I did all the right stuff as the head coach. I sucked last week. And I almost got this young man killed. Y'all wanted to fire him. He shouldn't have been drafted at 11. This week, I ain't called no plays, but everything came back to me. I okayed everything that Bill Lazor said. Me, 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 me. Man, shut the hell up. <laughs> shut up. Say, you know what? 
I was bad at calling plays last week. This is the third time I've fired myself. The biggest mistake I've ever made as head coach is to continue rehiring myself <laughs> as the play call. <laughs> so guess what? I passed it along to Bill Lazor, and he did an amazing job because his job is to call the plays, get Justin Fields in the best position to succeed, and guess what? Bill did that. Not me. Bill did it. But guys, look at me. I'm Matt Nagy. As Greeny always says, I'm bald-headed and I wear a visor. Like, like stuff like this upsets me because he had an opportunity to heap praise on his offensive coordinator and his quarterback, but he had to point out, guys, guess what? I did this, so don't fire me and hire Bill Lazor because I made the choice. This fool. I love you. I, I love you. know, I'm pretty sure he summed up the thoughts of most, if not all, Bears fans with that little rant he went on because that was awesome. So I saw that on Monday, and I swear I've watched that probably three or four times now. And it's pretty much how I felt after that game. Justin Fields had a great game. Bill Lazor called a great game. But everything comes back to Matt Nagy. Ryan Clark said it best. Me, 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 me. That's exactly how it felt after that game. And the worst part is, it wasn't all good for the Bears last week. They have lost David Montgomery for at least four or five weeks because he went down with a knee injury. So the offense looked good because the Bears were running the ball. And because they were running the ball, they added another layer to the offense. The same thing happened when Bill Lazor started calling plays last year. The run game was suddenly there, and then the rest of the offense came with it. Well, now you're down, you're running back one, but I, I'm not worried about this. I'm, I know some people, it, it makes sense to worry about this. Losing David Montgomery is certainly less than ideal. It is not good. But that's why you bring in Damian Williams. So here's a little background on Damian Williams. He was running back in Kansas City. Looked really good. And there were people, reporters, analysts, that say, that said on the record, that Damian Williams could have been Super Bowl MVP if Patrick Mahomes didn't do Patrick Mahomes things. This guy's the real deal. If there's someone that I want filling in for David Montgomery, it's Damian Williams. Not Khalil Herbert. He's a rookie. Not Ryan Nall who just got brought up from the practice squad. Don't get me started on that one right now. I want Damian Williams as RB1. Because if he comes in and say he does what I think he's going to do, and he's just going to light it up and be a really good replacement for David Montgomery, when, Mon when Montgomery comes back after the injury, you'll have two solid backs that you can platoon in the run game. Now, I know I've never... I make this joke all the time. I've never played it on a football in my life. I've never coached. There's a reason for that. But I can tell you, having two really good running backs is great for an offense. I mean, that doesn't take a football whiz to know that. So I think this is Damian Williams' time to shine right now in Montgomery's absence. And it feels, it sucks too, because Montgomery was starting, he was looking great this year. I mean, some of those plays, he was carrying the pile, he... Took off. He looked good. He looked tough. It's a tough blow. But having Damian Williams there 
that helps soften this blow. And I really think he's going to do a good job filling in for David Montgomery. I'm, he's my guy to watch today. I know I am totally fanboying over Justin Fields. I will continue to. There is a reason that my fantasy football team is named Justin Fields Stan account. There's a reason for that. But my guy to watch today is Damian Williams. I know Jeff Joniak said on the Bears pregame show he's watching Cole Komet, which watch out for him too. But Damian Williams is a name to watch this week and moving forward. Once they establish the run game without Montgomery, which will be easier to do since you have a guy who has experience as an RB1, they're going to be in good shape. And I also like the thing that you can do with Justin Fields that you can't do with Andy Dalton. So you watch Andy Dalton. He's a pocket passer. He drops back, he stays in the pocket, and goes through his progressions. What you can do with Justin Fields, and if you got the run game going, you can do play action, you can do an RPO. Justin Fields can use his legs. He can roll out of the pocket and make plays. Did you see the 64-yard pass last week? Now let me ask you this. Can anyone tell me the last time a Bears quarterback threw a 64-yard pass that beautiful? And I'm not, tell, I'm not asking you this because I know the answer because I'm trying to put it in perspective of this doesn't happen to Bears quarterbacks. Usually you get Trubisky who underthrows or overthrows. Or you get Nick Foles who whatever he does. The Bears have a bona fide star. He can throw a deep ball on the run. He can roll out of the pocket and make plays. He and Darnell Mooney have a connection. Fields and Mooney have a great connection. Now, I think that connection is going to build with Allen Robinson, too, now that Justin's getting the reps with the number ones. And then Matt Nagy can go in the press conference and say, oh, yeah, we're seeing things that we didn't see before because we're, pre we're letting him practice with the ones. That still annoys me. The Bears have an opportunity today. They've got a Raiders team. It's coming off a tough loss. They're in Vegas, which there's really no home field advantage. I was listening to it on the radio this week. Everybody was saying there's really no home field advantage in Vegas. I mean, I've never been to Vegas. I want to. I'm hoping to soon. But I've never been there. But I know it's very popular. There's a reason Parkins and Spiegel from 670 The Score are there. Waddle and Sylvie from ESPN 1000 are there. There's a lot of hype around this game. There's a lot of Bears fans there. I think from what I understand from Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer being on the pregame show from Vegas, there are a lot of Bears fans in Vegas. So we're going to see just how many of them showed out and, get, and they can help the Bears. That, that crowd is huge. So the Bears have an opportunity today. Last I saw, if you're into gambling, the Raiders were five-and-a-half-point favorites the last time I checked today. That might have moved. I'm not sure, but I saw five-and-a-half. There's an opportunity to make a statement, and the Bears can absolutely do it 
if the offense looks anything close to what it did last week. I'll have a score prediction for you at the end of the show, probably in the last five minutes or so, because we've got a lot more to talk to, or to talk about, excuse me. There is so much to get to, and I've got 40 minutes to fill. Let's talk White Sox, because I have thoughts. Now, it's no secret that I'm a Tony La Russa defender, and what I mean by that is baseball-wise. Not the DUIs or anything like that. I'm talking about strictly from a box score, from a scorecard perspective. I'm a Tony La Russa defender. I have been adamant that he's going to be the American League Manager of the Year this year. I still think that's going to be the case because that's all decided in the, after the regular season, before the postseason, so nothing that happened in the last two games will impact Tony LaRusso's case for manager of the year. But you mark my words, Tony LaRusso will be the American League manager of the year when all's said and done. Now that said, let's talk about what happened in game two. We can talk about game one all we want, you know, game one. Lance McCullers looked good. Lance Lynn didn't. We can talk about that all day. I, still, I would have started Giolito. Game one, but I'm not the Hall of Famer baseball person. I I would have started Giolito game one. I'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to talk about game two. Game two was a good game up until the eighth inning. Giolito started, looked good. Then Yohan Moncada slid into the wall as he slipped. This kind of taking a detour here. I just want to, the Astros play in an indoor stadium, right? The roof has been closed, right? What in the world is there for him to slip on? On third base line, now I'm not blaming Moncada one bit for this. Let me be perfectly clear. I'm not blaming Moncada for slipping. You cannot control that. I'm not blaming him. This is more at the Astros grounds crew. Minute Maid Park has a roof on it. The roof was closed. What was there to slip on? Seriously. A good friend of mine, his son, is the head groundskeeper for the Indianapolis Indians, Triple A team of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're an outdoor stadium, and that dirt looked better than what happened at Minute Maid Park the other day. Now, Moncada's fine, thank goodness. But what was there for him to slide on? And get that fixed. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox. But once Moncada went into that wall, Giolito's rhythm got thrown off, and he wasn't the same pitcher. I really thought between innings he'd get everything figured out, but he didn't. So that said, the offense had to wake up. The offense had to wake up, and it didn't. The offense for the White Sox has 18 hits in the series. All singles. That's not going to win you a lot of baseball games when your pitcher's out there struggling. Happened two games in a row. Lance Lynn struggled in game one because he struggles against the Astros, especially at Minute Maid Park. And it happened in game two when the White Sox needed a boost and they could not get anything going. Now, Luis Robert hit one off the wall. Should have probably ended up at second, but he stayed at first. 
You got to do more than singles. But where does this fall on Tony? I've been talking about this game. I have not talked about Tony LaRusa when I said I'd talk about his, his mismanagement. Where in the world was Michael Kopech? Giolito started. And I want to say who came in after him. Was that Bummer that came in? I know Ryan Tapera came in as well. But my point is, Michael Kopech did not play. He sat in the bullpen. Crochet came in as well. So you had Garrett Crochet and Aaron Bummer. They came in and didn't look great. And then Craig Kimbrell came in to try and stop the bleeding as well, and he didn't look good. He hasn't looked good since the trade from the Cubs. But if you ask Tony after the game, that's not his situation. He's a closer. Then why are you using him in that situation then? I don't understand. If that's not his situation, why are you using him in that situation? And also, where is Kopech? you got a guy who can throw 100 miles an hour out of the bullpen and look sharp. Tony said after the game, well, if we needed him to win the game, he'd have been in. You needed him to win the game. The Astros' offense is good top to bottom. We know that. That's all they talk about on the broadcast outside of the fact that in case you didn't know, based on watching the Game 2 broadcast on MLB Network, Tony LaRussa and Dusty Baker are old. They're both over 70. You only heard it every half inning. But the other thing you kept hearing was how good the Astros lineup is, one through seven. If you bring in, so you've got Giolito pitching, and he throws well, he's got some good stuff. Let's say you bring in Crochet, who throws 100 miles an hour. Okay, you don't want to do two guys who throw 100 miles an hour back-to-back. I can understand that logic. You want to change it up. So then you bring in Tapera, who looked good. Tapera looked good. But after that, I'd have brought in Kopech instead of Bummer. But again, like I said, I'm not the Hall of Famer. Usually it's in Tony we trust. That's why I didn't have much of a problem with Lynn starting game one. Now, I had a problem with it. Because you've got the logic of, okay, win game one, get the momentum. If you lose game two because your pitcher struggles, it's a nothing-nothing series heading home. Fine. I can understand that logic. But on the other side of the coin, there's the thinking of, okay, if we lose game one, we can win game two and take the momentum home with us. But in order for that to happen, the offense has to wake up. It's not all going to be just on the pitcher against that lineup. That is a tough Houston Astros team. You're not going to beat them solely by pitching. You're not going to shut them out. I had a serious problem with how Tony LaRusso managed game two in particular. And like I said, I'm a Tony defender. I'm not going to sit here and defend him all the time. When he screws up, I'm going to say, he screwed up. He screwed up in game two. 
And now the White Sox are in 2 nothing hole heading home. I still am not convinced the series is over. I mean, they're coming home. I'm hoping it's a good crowd at guaranteed rate today. Is it today or tomorrow? Either way. Either way. My point is, I hope there's a good crowd. Now, I'm a Cubs fan through and through. I made it clear. But the Cubs are going to be getting a good tee time at Cog Hill. They're playing golf. They're done. Season's over. I want the White Sox to go win the World Series. It'd be great for the city. It'd be great for the city. So, yeah, I want them to win. But, yeah, I had a serious problem with how Tony managed game two. And if it costs him the series, White Sox fans are not going to be happy. They're not happy right now. I've got some DMs I want to read here for discussion. But first, we're hitting the bottom of the hour. So I want to remind you, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WUW 88.7 FM. If you want to chime in on the conversation, slide into my Twitter DM. Shoot me a tweet at NickSchultz underscore 7. I have Twitter open. I have my tweet deck open. I've got a couple DMs I'd like to read for you here. Let's see. Daryl Horowitz, former host of the show, is chiming in. What's up, Daryl? Thanks for listening from Charlotte. I hope you're well. Uh, he says here, I'm thinking Cora for the Red Sox. They weren't supposed to be good. Sox made the playoffs last year. Okay, the argument I'm making with Tony LaRusa for manager of the year. Tony LaRusa took 10 years off. Did not manage for 10 years. He had injuries to Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal. He did not have a full lineup until late August, early September, based on what was going, the plan in spring training. And they still managed to win as many games as they did. I still say Tony for manager of the year. Um, he also said the comments LaRusso used talking about Kopech has him gone if I'm in charge, assuming they lose the series. You don't play for tomorrow, and that's what he did not using Kopech, of course. Or of course, Reinsdorf won't fire him. Only way he goes is if he says he wants to step down. You know, I can't disagree with you there because you have that valuable weapon in your bullpen in Michael Kopech. You needed him to win that game. Don't go out after the game and say, oh, well, if we needed him, we'd have used him. You did need him. This is where the argument from White Sox fans... Now, I hate this perspective. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I do not like this perspective, this argument. But White Sox fans are saying he's out of touch with the game because he's 77 years old. That's where this argument comes in with comments like that and decisions like that. So, yeah, I would agree. If it's me, Tony's gone. But that's not going to happen. Now, and again, that's contingent on if the White Sox lose this series. I think, it, actually, I'll take it a step further. It's contingent on if they get swept. If they lose today and get swept, it's on Tony. Now, I know people were saying, oh, don't blame the players. Don't blame the pitchers for not performing. It goes back to your manager did not put them in a position to win. That's why I say that game's on Tony. Yes, the offense needs to do more than just get singles. Yes, the pitchers need to do more then give up runs at bad times like in the eighth inning. I'm not taking blame away from the players. But it all comes back to, like I said, your manager needs to put your team in position to win and your Hall of Famer in the dugout screwed up. Now, he's human. He's going to screw up. I'm not saying he's perfect. 
I'm not saying anyone's perfect. I'm certainly not. But that's why I say that one's on Tony. I'm not taking blame away from the players for not performing. I'm not taking blame away from the players having the bases loaded in the first inning and only scoring one run. You need to manufacture runs. And now you're in a hole. Luckily, you're going home, so maybe that'll help. But the crux of it, when it gets down to it, this is on Tony. And this is from a guy who sat here all year and kept saying he's a Hall of Famer. Gotta trust him. I'm a realist. He screwed up. So now the White Sox are down two to nothing. They play tonight at seven at guaranteed rate field. So it's a great Chicago sports day. You got the sky at two. The Bears at three, the White Sox at seven. It is a great Chicago sports day. It would be even better if they all won. I'm not counting the White Sox out of this game. There's too much firepower in that lineup to be having 18 hits, all singles. And there's one other point we've got to get to about LaRusso's mismanagement. Why in the world is Larry Garcia in the outfield? Why did you pull Adam Engel, who's known for his defense, for Larry Garcia? That didn't help either. That allowed a couple runs to score. When Larry turned around, couldn't find the ball. And that's exactly what Daryl just chimed in with. Exactly about putting them in a position to win. He let Lynn go too long in game one. In game two, also putting Garcia in right, and the ball found him. Should have put Hamilton in. You should have just kept Adam Engel in. I'd have kept Engel in the game. But that's why I'm not in the dugout. Yeah, I'm not in the dugout making those calls. The White Sox had the opportunity today to get a win, get some momentum going. If they can win these two games at home, pivotal game five in Houston. Now, who would throw game five? This is where you have a couple sides to this. You can have people say, oh, you should have started Giolito game one because you can't go game five. Well, let's take it back a bit. Lance Lynn started game one. I would not throw him another game in this series. I would throw Rodon to Kopech in game four if he get there. Game five, I'd go back to Giolito. Because think about it. Game two was, let's see, what day is today? Sunday. Game two would have been Friday. So Giolito pitched Friday, okay? Off Saturday, he's not throwing today. He's not throwing tomorrow. Off Tuesday. Wednesday would be five days rest. I would throw Giolito in game five if you get there. And then from there, you have to manage the bullpen. 
This is why Tony's in the dugout, other than the fact that he's Jerry's friend. I get it. I know. I understand that part of it. He's Jerry's friend. I understand. You don't bring a guy back from 10 years off because he knows how to manage a bullpen. I understand that, but that's supposed to be one of his strengths is bullpen management, and he failed in game two to manage the bullpen. Now, was it as bad as Ricky Renteria did last year? I would argue no, because Ricky Renteria tended to panic. He'd pull guys too early. Tony did the opposite. He left guys in too long. We'll see what happens today. But if it's me, if you get to game five, it's Giolito starting. Now, I'd have started Giolito game one. So that shows my track record lately. But that's what I'd do. They got to get there first. And it starts tonight at 7 at Guaranteed Rate Field. Dylan Cease is throwing for the White Sox. And for the Astros, if I can pull up the matchup. If I can get it to load. Luis Garcia. You got Luis Garcia versus Dylan Cease. So yes, it is there for the taking tonight. I'm gonna be watching at work because it's Sunday and I work Sundays. It's gonna be a lot, it's gonna be a fun sports night with Bills Chiefs tonight on Sunday night football and White Sox Astros in the ALDS. I'm moving on to the WNBA because I've got I still got a bunch to talk about. I just spent 20 minutes on the White Sox. How about the Chicago Sky? I know like the WNBA has kind of been an afterthought, it seems like, and it sucks. I hate that because I would argue and I know White Sox fans don't 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 come at me for this. Sky are the best team in town. Candace Parker is unreal. She's one of my favorite players ever. We need to talk about Kalia Copper because she is amazing. She doesn't have the name recognition necessarily of Candace Parker, but Kalia Copper is doing work. Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot. I mean, what more can you say? They're in the WNBA finals against Phoenix, which I was really hoping it'd be Vegas. I was really hoping the sky would be taken on Vegas because Vegas is the team that bounced them last year from the playoffs. And it would just be nice to see, to see a Chicago basketball team beat Bill Lambeer again. But it's Phoenix, which is fine. Game's at 2 o'clock on ABC. I, I don't know why it's an afternoon game, but I digress. The Sky are the real deal. I've watched some of their playoff games. Usually I'm the one turning it on at the bar when I work. And I walked in the other night, went with one of my friends to watch the Cardinals game, which Cardinals-Dodgers was incredible in the wild card game. Went in to watch that, and the Sky game was already on. I have talked more WNBA at work than I ever have. Do yourself a favor. Watch the WNBA finals. Definitely watch this team. The crowd at Wintrust Arena for the clinching game was awesome. This team is legit. Now I still stand by, I think I've said this on the show before, James Wade is the head coach and GM. He's a good head coach. He's gotten the job done this year. Not a great GM. But hey, if they win the, if they win a title, 
which I think they can. I think they will. If they can win a title as a sixth seed, you got to give the guy credit. But that game's at two. I'm going to be watching. And, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of the Sky this year outside of the playoffs. I'll be completely honest. I mean, I've been following them, though. And their journey this year, they're sixth seed in the playoffs. And what they've done, they beat the number one seed, Connecticut, to get to the finals. That's impressive. So, yeah, great Chicago sports day. Let's talk bowls real quick, too. So, preseason basketball, I usually don't buy a lot of stock into. You know, last year I did, first year with the new front office, new coach, figured I'd see what they look like, and they lost the first preseason game. This year, I went out of my way to watch preseason basketball. We got our first look of the new look Bulls. I am so incredibly excited for this season. You've got Lonzo out there doing Lonzo things with the no-look passes and the flashy passes and the shot selection. It's great. The swagger. He he had the one. There was one play where he was wide open. And I, who was it? Was it Vucevic? Kicked it out to him, and he did, he, had, he did one dribble and just drained it. I loved it. It was great. You've got DeMar DeRozan, enough said. Yeah, DeMar DeRozan's unreal. I'm glad he's on this team. Zach Levine looks, Zach Levine, nothing's changed there. I am also very excited for the Caruso. Alex Caruso is already a fan favorite. I want to go buy a jersey and a headband. This Bulls team is going to be fun this year. The Bulls are fun. I mean, I said, I, I said this on my podcast this week as I host Believe in Bulls on Believe Podcast Network. Talked about this there. There was the sequence where I want to say it went Caruso to DeRozan to Lonzo back to Caruso and Caruso had the nice layup. It was fun. That's the crux of it. it they, they're fun. We haven't had a fun Bulls team in a long time. You have one now. And I cannot believe their win total is still low. I've seen anywhere from 41.5 to 43.5, which that 43.5 moved. They opened at 41.5. You're going to want to watch Bulls basketball this year because they are really entertaining. We had a report come out about the Cubs general manager search, so it's kind of gotten forgotten, I feel like, that the Cubs were, I don't want to say flying without a net. Is that how the saying goes? But Jed Hoyer is president of baseball operations now that Theo Epstein stepped down. They were operating without a GM all year. Well, a report came out yesterday from Sadef Sharma and Patrick Mooney at The Athletic. That Cubs president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, is in the final stages of his search for a general manager, narrowing his focus on external candidates with strong backgrounds in player development, multiple sources told The Athletic. Here are the names. Carlos Rodriguez, 
where he's vice president of player development and international scouting. Carter Hawkins, Cleveland assistant general manager. James Harris, Cleveland vice president of player development. And Jeremy Zoll, Twins assistant general manager. Now of these names, let me give you a little more background on these guys. This is all from Saad Evan Patrick at The Athletic. Carlos Rodriguez works with an innovative team that constantly defies expectations and frustrates its big market rivals in the American League East. Carter Hawkins deals with all aspects of baseball operations and a front office admired for its stability, creativity, and turning over the roster and ability to keep churning out pitchers. That's something Theo and Jed could not do. James Harris oversees a traditionally strong farm system, especially on the pitching side, and also offers the unique perspective of someone who worked closely with Chip Kelly at the highest levels of football, following the coach from the University of Oregon to the NFL and becoming his chief of staff with the Eagles. That's quite a background. And Jeremy Zoll focuses on minor league operations and initiatives for an organization that always relies on homegrown talent. I'm inclined of these names to say Carlos Rodriguez is my pick. There is no reason for Tampa Bay to be where they are this year. They got rid of their top pitcher last year in Blake Snell. I'm not sold on Kevin Cash as a manager, especially after he pulled Snell too early last year and I think it's safe to say lost the Rays the World Series. But think about this, and Saad Evan Patrick write this. Think of the former Rays executives that are doing work in the playoffs right now. Andrew Friedman is the Dodgers president of baseball operations. Shane Bloom is the Red Sox chief baseball officer. James Click is the Astros general manager. And Eric, I think it's Neander, is the Rays president of baseball operations who started as an intern in 2007. Carlos Rodriguez is a former international scout. And I think he can bring a new perspective on the game to the Cubs. He's my guy of these names. Now, none of these, I'm not saying none of these names would be good. I mean, Carter Hawkins and James Harris coming from Cleveland, they've had some good pitchers come up through their system. That is something Theo and Jed could not do. And I think James Harris coming from the football perspective, I think he's an interesting candidate, just multiple sports. I know Paul D. Podesta did the Something kind of similar. He left. I want. Who was he with? Was he with the Mets? So he was with the A's when the A's won 20 in a row. He was the basis for Peter Brand and Moneyball, to give you an idea. So it's Paul DePodesta's his real name. Left the A's. I want to say he went to the Mets. And now he works for the Cleveland Browns, or at least he, at least he used to. I don't know if he still does. But he went from baseball to football. And you see what the Browns are doing now. Maybe that analytical perspective would be good. For an organization like the Cubs that has struggled lately, especially on offense, I'm not a big sabermetrics guy. We know this. I don't buy into war and 
WRC plus and all the other weird acronyms that these weird stats that war is not consistent depending on who you ask. I don't buy into all that. I'm old school. I look at on-base percentage, on-base plus slugging. I still look at batting average. Maybe a new school of thought isn't a bad thing. And Jeremy Zoll would be a good choice too because he's got player development experience and he's worked with minor league operations. Any one of these guys would be good. But Carlos Rodriguez is my guy. If I could pick one guy, it'd be Carlos Rodriguez. Daryl chimes back in. Also lost Charlie Morton in Tampa. I forgot about that. I would hire the Ray, and they should have talked to someone with the Dodgers too, but not mentioned as a finalist. You know, I think you're right on that, Daryl. They should have talked to someone with the Dodgers, but if I had to choose between the Dodgers and the Rays, I'm taking the guy from the Rays. I think the Rays are an organization. They're... Are they considered a small market team or a mid-market team? Either way, they're not a big market team like the Yankees or the Red Sox or what the Cubs should be is a big market team, but they don't operate that way. But I'm not getting on that one right now. My point is what the Rays have done, the Rays have done more with less. So if you bring in a guy from Tampa Bay who's done more with less and you give him room to do more with more, I think that would be a great fit. That's why he's my guy, because of the organization he comes from, the pedigree of baseball operations executives that have come out of there. I think Carlos Rodriguez is your guy. We'll see who gets hired. The article says that Jed's in the final stages. And the last line of the story says the process could conclude as soon as next week with a possible announcement prior to the league championship series. Ooh, Rob Manfred's going to love that, an announcement like that during the playoffs. Oh, it's going to upset Rob Manfred. Do it, please. If it upsets Rob Manfred, do it. The best part about the playoffs right now, there is no runner on second base for extra innings. We are starting to get rid of Manfred Ball. Well, hopefully. But yeah, he's not. usually baseball doesn't like these types of announcements during the playoffs. At least they haven't in the past. So if this bothers Rob Manfred, I'm good with it. Uh, Daryl says, Bruce Levine doesn't, I'm guessing he's talking about buying into war or Mark Grody or another guy I'm friends with who covered baseball and is friends with Bruce too. War is never good. I agree with that. He used to say that on the show with me, Daryl, that war is bad. I don't buy into war. I don't buy into all these sabermetrics. I, I'm a numbers guy. I'm not good at math, but I'm a numbers guy. I know that sounds contradictory, but my point is, I look at numbers. Usually I say numbers never lie. Numbers can lie depending on how you spin them. I took a stats class. I took a stats class in college. You can twist numbers to make a point. But batting average doesn't lie because it's how many times the guy gets on base or makes contact. On base plus slugging, okay, I can buy into that. The slugging percentage is it's what, doubles or anything more than a double and on-base percentage, obviously, how many times you get on base. Those are the numbers I look at. I don't look at war or, I don't even know, WRC plus, it's, what is it? Something runs created plus or, I, I don't know. I can't even tell you what the thing stands for. For pitchers, I look at ERA, obviously. Walks and hits per innings pitched. 
That's a big one. Launch angle. Exit velocity. So my sister's a sports management major. She's a freshman in college. And she sent this text. We have a big family group chat, which has actually been going off during the show here because she played in a college golf tournament today. She shot an 84 yesterday. It's career low. And we have this family group chat. And she sent a prompt for a paper that she has to write. And it talks about how StatCast has impacted Major League Baseball. And I chime in, do not get me started on it. I've never really gone on a rant about it on the radio. But exit velocity, launch angle, that stuff should not matter. What matters is getting on base. I think this is why I like Tony La Russa so much as White Sox manager. Because of that approach, that lineup that the Sox have should hit home run after home run after home run. That is a lot of power. But as you saw, 18 singles isn't ideal either. But it's good that they're getting on base. You've just got to do more with it. So I'm not entirely against the idea of launch angle exit velocity, but it should not define, okay, I'm going to bat for the Cubs. I need to hit the ball at this angle, at this speed, to hit it out of the ballpark. That is too much going through your head. Going into that batter's box, the mentality needs to be, I'm going to beat this pitcher, I'm going to get on base. If you want to say, I'm going to beat this pitcher, I'm going to hit it over the fence, fine. Whatever works for you mentality-wise. But launch angle and exit velocity, that's a lot of numbers going in the batter's box. That's why you're seeing so many strikeouts. Teams are so worried about launch angle, exit velocity. What's my stat cast going to say? Stop worrying about that. Maybe I'm too old school in thinking about this. You know, I'm 23 years old. You'd think I'd be following the trends right now and buying into this stuff. I'm not. Sabermetrics does not define everything in baseball, but it should help, which is why a guy like Carlos Rodriguez from Tampa Bay would be a good hire for the Cubs with Jed Hoyer. I think a Hoyer-Rodriguez front office would be great. I think it would help move the Cubs toward the future because you've got to think toward the future. You can't just ignore all of this stuff that I said. I don't have to like war exit velocity but you got to follow it at least to a point now i don't follow war but i know baseball executives do i don't like a stat that says that bryce harper is better than babe ruth but sometimes you have to look at that stuff when making decisions and i don't know if jed hoyer looks at it but if carlos rodriguez does and let's say jed doesn't as close putting those two together would be a good balance So that's my pick for Cubs GM. We'll find out in the next week or two. But you know where I stand. We got about four minutes left here. I got to do a Bears prediction. So I told you the spread was five and a half. Vegas is giving five and a half points. Justin Fields is making the start. 
Now we know that he is the starter. He is QB1. There is no more talk in the post-game press conference of Andy Dalton as our starter. We are done with that, thank goodness. It was like a broken record. A bad broken record at that. There is stability. There is hope. The Bears are 2-2 two and two entering this game. They lost to the Rams and the Browns. They beat the Bengals and the Lions. Raiders 24, Bears 17. But I think it's going to take toward the end of the game for a decision to come. I think it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. I think Vegas is going to start slow, but they're going to find a groove in the Bears secondary that the Bears are missing Akeem Hicks today. That is important. They are missing Akeem Hicks. He is downgraded to out. With David Montgomery not playing, I'm not sure how the offense is going to look. I think it's going to be Raiders 24, Bears 17. It could very easily be closer. I could even see the Bears winning this game. Vegas is down. They've got a distraction now with John Gruden's email, which is dumb. I'm not saying the distraction is dumb. I'm saying the email was dumb. If you haven't heard about it, read up on it. I don't have enough time to explain it to you. But let's just say he said something he shouldn't have in an email 10 years ago, and it's coming back up, and it's not great. So maybe the Bears can pull this off. There are a lot of Bears fans in Vegas, like I said. Maybe they can do it. But with the injury to David Montgomery, the injury to Akeem Hicks, I think the Raiders take this one by a touchdown. However, I would like to see angry Ryan Clark again next week. So if Matt Nagy could say some other dumb stuff in the press conference so we get angry Ryan Clark on Get Up, that'd be fine by me because it was great television. So, like I said, big day in Chicago sports. WNBA Finals, Sky and Mercury at 2, Bears Raiders at 3, White Sox Astros at 7. It is a huge day. It's going to be a huge week. Next week, maybe we'll be talking about the White Sox advancing. Maybe we'll be talking about the offseason. Maybe we'll be talking about a Cubs general manager. Maybe we'll be talking about a Bears victory or a loss. We're going to see. I didn't even get to talk Big Ten football today. Sorry, Jonah. He, Jonah Blatt chimed in with a couple messages about Kenneth Walker III at Michigan State. I, Sorry, I didn't get to those. It could not, could not squeeze it in the rundown today. But next week, we'll hopefully talk some Big Ten football as well. Cannot wait to be back with you right here on WLUW. Same time, same place next Sunday. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. Wear a mask, get the vaccine when you can. Thank you for bearing with the technical difficulties to start the show. Be right back here next Sunday at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Have an awesome week, everybody. Enjoy the slate of games today. I'll talk to you next week.